Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Zach Evans Podcast. This week, I'm very excited about our conversation. I had the privilege of sitting down with Pastor Shannon Foote, who's the pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in Marrero, Louisiana, which is just outside of New Orleans. And I have known Brother Shannon for 17 years now. And he was my youth pastor for a time, and uh, we have been good friends for a long time, and ministry friends, and he's a a mentor to me, and I'd say one of my pastors, kind of sort of in, in ministry, a person that I reach out to for advice, and kind of what you're going to see is, I would say, not exactly like the conversations we have all the time. Obviously, this is more formal, but, um, you know, Brother Shannon's the kind of person that you can talk about things at a certain length with and um, to a certain degree with, and uh, those p- people are increasingly harder and harder to find. So kind of what you're going to see is a a version of a type of conversation that he and I have had time and time and time again. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, has bound us together as as friends is these types of conversations. And so what we started out to do was to, you know, maybe cover a few different questions. But um, I asked one and we answered it for about an hour and 14 minutes and really discussed one topic, which is really, um, I know when I got done, when we finished, I said, look, this right here is exactly what I want this podcast to be. Like these kinds of conversations, that's what I'm looking for. And I don't know where else in kind of more conservative Christianity, you're going to find conversations like the one you're about to hear. There may be other places and I've asked around, I've looked and um, I haven't found it. And so I'm, I'm excited about this because essentially what we're going to do is we're going to ask one question and explore it. And the question is this, what is wrong with American Christianity? What's the problem with American Christianity? And I think this conversation will be enlightening. So we'll jump right in to this episode entitled, What is Wrong with American Christianity? Featuring Pastor Shannon Foote. Hope you enjoy. So... Um, I thought maybe we'd start here. What are your thoughts, just as you know, as a pastor and as somebody who obviously you have your finger on the pulse of your people and your community, but also you know you have a concern for Christianity more broadly, obviously. So, what do you think? What are your thoughts on just kind of where uh, America is, where our culture is in relation to Christianity? Um, Kind of, what are your what are your thoughts on Christianity in America right now? How do you how do you think it's going? <laughs> um, I will say this: I, to speak for myself, the the obvious lack in American Christianity is what has driven me to make it a goal to leave the country annually to adjust my perspective so as not to fall into so many of the comfort zones of westernized Christianity. I, I, I mean, really, as, as I survey that landscape, not, and not, not speaking just simply for our church, but just as I survey that landscape, just on a broad spectrum and not really even in conservative circles, just on a broad spectrum, I, I think we're just soft. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, 
it amazes me how little it takes going wrong in a person's life that causes them to just distance their relationships with everyone at church, with God. I, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's alarming how drastic and how polarized people are willing to be at what, at what feels like the drop of a hat. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very concerned. I think everybody would say they're concerned, right? right? I mean, and that's probably not exclusive to America. I would say that's probably a, a first world issue across the world is modern conveniences and technology have allowed us to become isolated at the most populated point recorded in history, which is the, the there's so much irony in that. You know, I, I love looking at old pictures and it always cracks me up. I look at old pictures and there's one of two reactions. Either everybody's too happy or everybody looks like that everybody smells pretty bad. Yeah. It's like weird Just look that glazed face. over look, you know, <laughs> yeah. life's really hard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but when you look at it, there's so much, there's so much interaction. You know, you look at it and you say, okay, what was, what was the first separator? And I think, honestly, the, the first real level that, that led us into the, the age of development and the, and the, you know, the roaring 20s and the, um, the expansion <clears throat> of all of the, the, the assembly lines and that industrial age, you got to go back to the automobile. Before that, people people walked. People people they 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 had to. They were dependent on each other for everyday life, and and we we saw the first level of kind of exclusivity with the affluent having their ability to isolate themselves, and whether it be the wall around their domain or whether it is just the the four doors of their vehicle, and we've seen just a a, a relentless progression of that mentality, and you know kind of even venturing into some of Einstein's perspective and that eventually technology will isolate us from each, from each other completely, right? Um, and I think that's a, a major, major issue. I think I, you can't ignore COVID. COVID definitely ramped that up in a major way where two things happened. The, the church had to move to a virtual accessibility point, but that also allowed those that were not already immersed in a church culture understanding the necessity of the gathering of God's people, it has allowed them this very, very comfortable, very, very casual, take it or leave it form of quote unquote and very loose worship, and which of course we know doesn't meet the mandate, but that's how it's defined. And I, I, I mean, it. It gives me pause. It, it, it breaks my heart to, to watch that happen and to watch so many good churches just spinning their wheels trying to figure out where do we go wrong. Uh, but I think it's revealed something that was already there. I mean, there was already such a, just a major disconnect and it just gave them, it, it, show, it just opened the exit door. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so. Well, I mean, it's been, so I talked about this back in 2015 that, you know, this is pre-Trump, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. pre any of that stuff that it had been really easy as a Christian to just kind of flock to the mushy middle. Mm -hmm. And you can be a nominal Christian. Yeah. Uh, you can go to church. No one's going to give you a hard time. You can kind of believe whatever you want as long as you don't stand out. Hmm. That was the one rule, right? Hmm. Don't stand out. Don't be too bold. Hey, you know, uh, simmer that down a little bit, you know. But 
It's, it's strange, though, that what's happened, and I think the, the culture war that's going on is a part of this. COVID definitely has a lot to do with it. The reaction by the Christian community, or the lack of reaction in some cases, to cancel culture and the woke culture has created a, a dynamic where um, the mushy middle kind of no longer exists, mm-hmm. right? So we're, we're being put in a place where our culture kind of disproportionately rewards those who one way or the other uh, stand up and stand out, mm-hmm. even if they believe something that is egregiously insane, Yeah. right? So there, we have this built-in kind of reward system that says, as long as you are incredibly overt with your profession of faith, whatever that is, you're rewarded by your tribe, mm-hmm. right? So the culture, it doesn't matter what they say, mm-hmm. like they're instantly rewarded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just, a, 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 it's basically the idea of justification by faith by another name. It's profess your inward belief outwardly, mm-hmm. profess the fact that you are something, just mm-hmm. believe that and we'll validate you and proclaim you to be righteous, right? That's what it is. It is. It could not exist without the history of Christianity. It's, it's, the same. it's, mm, it's basically yeah. a, a, a pilfering of the legacy of Christianity to mm-hmm. say, okay, we're going to create a new version of justification by faith yeah. um, that you just outwardly profess an inward belief, and we proclaim you morally virtuous. On the flip side, you have many people in secular society, specifically in a political domain, who are totally overt, Mm-hmm. who are willing to take risks, who are willing to stick their neck out, um, who are willing to be canceled. Uh, you think about, who's the guy that Orlando Magic basketball player, is it Isaac, Jonathan Isaac, I think maybe is his name, something like that. The new clothing line. Yes, the new clothing yes. line. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. unite us. Yeah. So this is the guy who stood when everybody else was kneeling yep. and yep. then said why he did it. Right. He says, I'm doing this because I'm it's, a Christian. It's bold. It, I mean, yeah. you see his logo? Yeah. They did it around like the the Ark of the Covenant. I yeah. thought that was incredible. incredible. I mean, that's deep. I mean, he's yes. he's diving in there for something with rich symbolism, and he's and he's bold. I love the fact that so far he's had a lot of support um, a lot to what you're saying. Because in the past we've seen you know like the Tebow effect and mm-hmm. some things like that where it was it was polarizing. Yeah. And um and that may be in his approach. That may be because. He's harder to cancel. I don't know, um, but I'm very impressed by what he's attempting to do. I'm, I'm in, I was very encouraged by many of the statements that he made into being really driven in this purpose, but not concerned about the potential cancel the or the or the attacks that that may come. He's, he's like, you know, do so, you? <laughs> so like, here's I guess you have uh, people who believe these things that are relatively new beliefs, mm-hmm. right? That a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man, like, uh, you know, that in, ex- in the explicit terms it's being described in today mm-hmm. has really never been described in those exact terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's prof- professed loudly from the rooftops with, mm-hmm. no, with no shame, Mm-mm. no fear, no, no nothing, because there's a tribe there that, again, will proclaim them to be mm-hmm. virtuous. Mm-hmm. And then you have, mainly in the political domain, people who, it seems like almost now, there's a financial incentive to be canceled, hmm. right? So like if you get canceled by these people who aren't buying things from you, it makes you more popular with the people who are buying things from you. Yeah. And you get more views on your music video, like the Jason Aldean yep. thing. You can start a new clothing brand. I'm not saying that's why he's doing it. I think no. he needs to do that. He's foraying into that arena saying, yeah. we need alternatives. Yes. But what I mean is that it's funny how to me it's clear that we live in a culture that rewards people 
on both sides for as much as we complain about cancel culture. Yeah. It rewards people for standing up for yeah. what they believe. <laughs> right. And it's the Christians in the middle yeah. who are still trying to hang on to this mushy middle and say, oh, I'm just not so sure that I want to stick right. my neck out. When politically people will do it, yep. people will do it in the names of like a false biology. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to Christianity, and I think maybe we're starting to see, I, I've seen some glimmers of hope mm-hmm. with people who have stood up for what they believe, and that's true. But a lot of it to me seems to be politically driven but as opposed to spiritually driven. Is it, I mean, is there more reason for, for those of a genuine faith to be fearful? Not saying that it's justified, but you, your guy with, your, with the cake up in the Northwest. I don't, even know his, I don't even know his faith. I know he stood up for his belief and has paid an egregious cost and then has the court step in and says, no, you can't even help fund to pay the fines. And so, you know, on the flip side of that, which to everything you're saying, I say amen, but at the same time, I'm looking at it from those that are indecisive and they're in that mushy middle saying, okay, Sure, cancel culture. Who knew red? But who knew rednecks could swing a company ten billion dollars worth based on their beverage of choice for inebriation? <laughs> you know, it's insane. Yeah. But it's power, right? It's the same ones that are buying the. It's the same ones that are buying all of the all of the same music, all of the same things. They're, they're spending that money on those things, and they're very much engaged in standing up for or for whichever side, because. You know, it, whether it's political, whether it's cultural, we, we're finding in this generation very little middle ground. And it's, it's unsafe to be in the middle ground, but there's a fear of being on either pole. And, but they, I think they're giving true conservatives, and whether it's political conservatives or religious conservatives, they're, they're giving true conservatives more reason to fear, and which leads me to this thought. How far behind are we in engaging in this battle? Right. Because, you know, for sake of illustration, we go into COVID, there were certain realms of religion that were, that all they had to do was switch gears and did not lose momentum. They were already connected with the public in a, in a technological sense. They were, their, their, their foundation had already been constructed, they were ready to move forward. Not that they were anticipating anything like a global pandemic, but they were simply just more in tune with the technological approach to accessing people than those who who were just simply still doing it the way it had been done traditionally. Not that either was better, one was more conducive to the demand. Um, and so we, we, and so a lot of us had to jump in. I was on that band. I mean, I had to jump in way later than everybody else. I'm still a little conflicted about a live stream just because I, I don't like seeing church replaced on a level it doesn't have to be. I love the accessibility for our shut-ins, those that are traveling and working, those that are, that are, we have several deputies in our church. I love the fact that they're able to, during downtime, try to catch bits and pieces yeah. of live stream here but and there. But it's unprecedented. And, it is. We've never tried to do anything like this before. No. So the, the closest thing way back in the day would have been, like, uh, I have a, a copy of uh, Spurgeon, one of the sermons that he preached on the, when he would preach it, there would be someone, a clerk, that would sit in the front row and transcribe it by hand. Wow. And then the next morning, Spurgeon would get that transcript, mm-hmm. and he would go with his purple pen, his trademark purple pen, and he would edit it and change the language and make it more readable. Sure. And make adjustments. And then it would go to, uh, I believe, Passmore and Alabaster and would be printed 
and it would come out the next week in, in, the, in the paper. Yeah. Okay, well, nobody, when they had that in their hand, thought, I'm going to church. <laughs> no one thought Correct. that. Correct. So same thing with sermon tapes back yeah. in the day or sermon DVDs. Yeah. Nobody confused that with church. Right. Nobody. We are confusing yeah. live stream with church. And I think that goes back to what you're talking about, kind of this softness in Christianity, which is, well, it doesn't even have to cost me the effort to right. leave my home nope. to come to church. We can actually just, it's almost like, well, while we're redefining the most basic norms that <laughs> anyone's ever defined, yeah. let's redefine church too. Mm -hmm. and there's some danger in that. So Absolutely. I guess the question is like, <laughs> have we done a good enough job over the past however long to really ingratiate into people's minds what the church is and isn't mm. to bring them to the point that they can differentiate right. between uh, you know, the technological advances that make being out of town more convenient and more connective to your, to your local assembly yeah. versus a substitute for an actual called out right. assembly. And does that speak to kind of this overall softness? Yeah, I think it absolutely does. It's, I mean, n nobody's gonna tell you they went to the Super Bowl because they skipped church and watched it on their TV, right? <laughs> like I've told, I mean, I've told our folks, and this yeah. is dating me big time, but nobody thinks that they've been to the Ponderosa because they watch Bonanza, right? right you know, right. it's like, come on now. And but we but we ignore the obvious disconnect right. because we can justify a comfortable approach yeah. to say, look, God, you know, and it reminds you of the children of Israel. You know, he says, I'm God, not man. Don't bring it to me and tell me to bless it. Do what I said, right? right? And, and we've lost that part of God's nature because we are, we are so inundated with his grace that we have forgotten truth and righteousness. And there, it, it matters. And there are lines that should not be crossed. So there's an, there's an overemphasis in Christian doctrine on, uh, like I heard somebody say recently, that the, the angels don't fly around God saying, uh, you are loving, loving, loving. Mm. They say you are holy, holy, holy. That's good. That is good. <laughs> and so could it be that part of this softness that we have, just as a general overall culture, mm -hmm. right, that it seems like the church, instead of acting on that softness to try to apply the Christian remedy to that, has adjusted to it mm -hmm. and said, okay, well, then how do we soften Christianity? Well, then mm -hmm. we create uh, a system in our churches that is more predicated on these more, I don't know if you describe them as feminine attributes or, or, or whatever, um, I, I think there's a case to be made that that's, that that's what they are sure, um, yeah. in, 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 in a sense. Uh, because, I mean, we're living in a, in a demasculinized we are. age, and it's extending into our faith. Right. And then instead of having a faith that was founded on you know, martyrdom and sacrifice and mm -hmm. selling everything you own and having all things common, mm -hmm. uh, we've reverted back to the place where it's you know, having church in our you know, PJ pants with Cheeto <laughs> dust on our, on our chest. Which I, look, I get the appeal. Absolutely. I, I get yeah. the appeal. The, the comfort level is there which I would love to dig into the Acts thing because I'm very, I'm very conflicted on that as a side note, is was that setting the church up for success or did that just cause a problem that they later had to try to solve? Did they, did they, did they try to speak for God on his return and saying that material things meant having nothing? having all things common? Yeah, and, and was, the, was, there, was there a loss of material concern and anticipation of a quick return? From, from from Christ 
And, right. you know, I mean, because every preacher since Paul has thought, in my generation, right. Christ will return, right? And, right. I, and I've often thought about that, is, is that part of it? But anyway, um, so as far as the, the, but the battle that we're facing, so we're, we're looking at the battle of masculinity and that softness that is obviously rampantly degrading. I mean, it's, it's, it's alarming. It's kind of gross, disgusting. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yes, I think the softness, the, the comfort, the carnality, there, there, there are so many, so many aspects of that. So I look back and I think, okay, there, there are just some of those phrases that have been so well-intended but so terribly used. Um, one that stands out to me is God never gives you more than you can handle. Mm. I'm like, well, okay, but that's true. Then why did he tell me to pray for my daily needs? And, and, and if that is true, where exactly is the motivator for me to seek him daily? If he doesn't give me more than I can handle, then I'm self-contained. Right, I'm independent, import. right? And so that, that kind of phrasing, it goes back to that softness, the, 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 the feminine attributes of God of always having a safe space. But then also, you, this is the, probably the one that oh, right up there with follow your heart <laughs> um, yeah. is, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And, and, but those are, those are common, common phrases. Not necessarily from pulpits. In some cases, yes. But most times, just well-meaning people trying to drop a, 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 a word or a, just a bit of encouragement to somebody yeah. else. But they, but they mischaracterize something. And, and, and from that, we see faith and we see expectations consistently downgraded rather than, than recognizing you know, I, I tell the people at our church all the time, there, there's two reasons hardship comes, for strengthening and because we're stupid. I mean, because it's got to be one or the other. God's either correcting something because we messed it up royally, right. or he's preparing us for something we haven't seen yet. I mean, that's the, that's the debate of the entire book of Job. Right. It's like either, Job, you messed up. Tell us what you did, yeah. right? And Or is it the final conclusion of... God's elevating your mindset on suffering. Yeah. Suffering always has a purpose, but it's not, it is not always going to fit in our box. Right. And, and, and I think that's where we become. Okay, so um, the, the, in the book you recommended to me, which I actually read, um, <laughs> uh, in iGen, mm-hmm. you know, it, it talks about that and that, that isolation that has become so detrimental yeah. and the weakness that it's created because any negative voice can be blocked, can be, can, the app can be closed because I sit in, the, you know, you were talking about a young generation that's only ever known, you know, wireless devices connected to high-speed internet where it's an app, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a social media platform. I don't like what you're saying, I close it. Or I take in too much of it and it defines me. It's, it's a very weird uh, dichotomy that's created as a result of that. Um, but we have that. But, I think, but it goes back further, is amusement, right? So you and I, when we, you know, we, we were born before the age of even flip phones, yeah. and we had to use our imaginations. Right. I mean, we had to, we had to go outside and, and, and just have fun, and, and we're the last generation that drunk out the hose and, you know, the, oh, those yeah. kind of things. But we, we had to learn to think. And daydreaming 
is one of the very first that exploring those yeah. ideas and just right. having a great time with it. And your friends, very oddly, getting on the same page with you and playing these games yeah, and whether these it was ridiculous, nonsensical yes, games. Whether you were in space or whether you were playing house, playing church. I mean, yeah. you know, just it was crazy. Yeah. But everybody was right there. Well, so what you're doing then is you're simulating a more real version of reality than the one that our kids, the simulations that our kids are enjoying. Mm -hmm. So when you play Madden, mm -hmm. you're not simulating a reality, anything akin to the one that you're actually involved in. Right. Because, you know, you're three foot eight, you know, <laughs> you're you're 10 years old. Yeah. That could be the wrong proportion for someone's height at 10. I don't know. But uh, I don't know how tall 10 year olds are. But so like he's not Derrick Henry. Right. You know what I mean? He never, he never will be. Oh. Right. So but. And, and there's no real benefit. But you can be anything you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Incorrect. Watch episode 22. Uh, whatever number that is. That's another one of those. It's another one of those phrases we love to just throw out there. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's insane. It's a lie. Yeah. It's fundamentally a lie. Yes. You can't be anything that you want to no. be. You literally can't. Yeah, if your IQ is less than 83, you can't be in the military. <laughs> yeah. Try to positive think your way out of a bucket. You yeah, know what I mean? it's yeah, like exactly. you can't grow you gills. You're gonna drown. Do that. Yes. yes. So I mean, the simulations that we grew up with. We're either so obviously not real, like playing Zelda, mm -hmm. that you don't think to mimic the things inside of them. Mm -hmm. Nobody's running around with, you know, a sword and a shield, you know, yeah. cutting up bushes, trying to find rupees. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> nobody's doing that. But it's weird that we, we've blurred the line between simulation and reality. And we're doing the same thing with church. Mm -hmm. Where church is just another simulation that we run. Yep. And it's like, it's one of those things that I don't think it was ever intended ever intended to be. And I think this lack of any type of real simulation where, like if you're playing games with your friends, you have to negotiate, you have to learn the skill of negotiation, mm -hmm. you have to learn how to compromise. Yeah, uh, conflict resolution. Conflict resolution, you have to learn all those things. It's mm -hmm. implicit in learning to play the game. Mm -hmm. And to some extent with this softness, that is then what happens is because we're soft, then we must separate mm -hmm. because it's the friction yep. that injures the softness. Yep. But it's also the lack of friction that caused it. Yep. And we've, we've grown up in a society to where um, there's a lack of friction, lack mm -hmm. of friction of ideas, friction of opinions, and just friction of your personality rubbing up against someone else's yeah. personality. And now what you can do is you can throw your personality into an algorithm and that algorithm spits similar personalities back at you. Mm -hmm. So that's just another avenue that's a complete lack of friction. See, there's people out there that love me, just nobody mm -hmm. here. And yeah, it's, it, it allows you to create that, whether virtual or not, it allows you to create a world that is always conducive to your desire, which obviously works completely contrary to yeah. the teachings of Scripture and the expectations of a believer. Yeah. So, I, so, we, so I think the condition of Christianity... One, we don't even know what battle we're fighting, you know, Correct. because the enemy is so far ahead of us and working in such an overbearing way that we are so late to the battle and have yet to clearly identify it or equip the believers to actually engage in that conflict. And I think that would maybe um, explain why these, the big battles are mainly political. Mm. They're not religious mm -hmm. because Christianity is not right now the lever mm -hmm. that it used to be that nope. moves things like it used to. It used to be that all debates were religious debates, yep. right? Because yep. you know the, religi the, the, the religious and political systems were, yep. were intertwined, right. not formally as far as there was still a separation of church and state, but within you know, people's lives that mm -hmm. was the case. And now they're, they're completely right. segmented. So now everything is 
politically, and that's really where the skirmish yep. is taking place, and the church is kind of off yep. to the side, which I think is a is a very dangerous right. proposition because if we're not involved in the discussion, um, if we're not involved in the solution, yeah. and then if the proposed solution is antithetical to the church, yeah. then the church becomes the enemy right. of the new, even conservative state, which I could definitely see that happening one day. I don't mm-hmm. think people understand that. That like, mm-hmm. uh, I could see the day coming when because Christians are not really that involved in the culture war, that whatever consensus has come to, whatever false peace is established later on by whoever establishes it, if it's antithetical to some extent to the church and then the church decides to do something, then it's too late. Mm-hmm. Then it's too late, at least to some degree it's too late. Yeah. And then you become an enemy against the false peace that's been established. And again, that's a result of this overall softness it is. that we're talking about. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I think you're, I think that's exactly right, is, is, is that's where we're inevitably going unless, you know, there's that, there's always that, there's that cycle that's always discussed of good men create good times, or tough, or strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, and hard times create strong men. Um, and I, 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 inevitably, yeah. we're probably in that cycle. Yeah. And but will we will we give ourselves enough time in this generation to see that cycle revolve, uh, or yeah. are we truly that generation that welcomes the man of sin, the Antichrist, um, and and this all is actually over because we choose apostasy. I, I mean, and I don't know exactly what apostasy looks like, but as I as I gaze across the landscape of what I uh, I know of Christianity, now listen. I'm not Elijah, and woe is me, everybody else has, I haven't, you know, no, no. I, I am thrilled every time I, I come across another, another guy that's just been out there maybe a couple of decades, just plugging away, small community, reaching his Jerusalem, doing a phenomenal job, just like I'm endeavoring to do in my Jerusalem, you're endeavoring to do in your Jerusalem. I think there is so much out there that we're not connected to because they have just decided, I don't care about not in a bad way, but just like they're not going to engage in right. social media. They're not sure. going to try to build a platform or a following of any kind. They're just going to put their hands to the plow and no turning back, and they're staying at it. I, 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 it does my heart good to believe that there are just untold multitudes of local pastors a- across the world that are doing exactly that. Yeah. So, I mean, when we have this conversation, it, it's looking at the interactions that we're having with those that just lack the dedication and seemingly lack the desire to be rooted and grounded in truth and an active part of the ongoing mission of the local church. Yeah. And, and then also recognizing the struggle it is to meet new people in the community, and first of all, bridge that gap. I mean, how, how do we reach a place, going back to the isolation idea, how do we reach a place where the, the culture has accepted the idea that it's a 50-50 shot when you talk to a pastor? Now, this probably is very much dependent on the, 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 the urban environment opposed to the more rural environment, but in, in, in so many cases, it's a 50-50 shot when you talk to a pastor. Are you talking to somebody who is deceitful when it comes to their morality, deceitful when it comes to money, 
you know, and 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 so you you're, you're you feel like you're starting off yeah. at a little under par and or over. I don't know. Is that good or bad? I'm, under par is really good. Really so good. Over par is really so we're bad. gonna be over. Okay, um, <laughs> we're overachievers then, yeah. so that's good. Um, but um, but you're you're looking at that and you're thinking. They don't even know whether to trust. When you come right. up, you used to drop a title like, hey, my name's Shannon. I'm the pastor at Grace Baptist Church. Wow, nice to meet you. Now it's like, really, Inst what do you want? <laughs> like, Instant credibility it, almost yes. in a way. Yeah. And now that's shifted, right? And that's, and so, and, and then, then you cross that bridge of anybody that lives a conservative life, anybody that is wholly given to their faith, is not praised. It's not celebrated. It's, they, they love to throw a thorough word around the term cult. Simply because it, it, they they become a part of something, and then they see changes coming in their life. Well, now all of a sudden we pull this word out and 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 label it, and and you know the world just loves they love labels as much as we say you know we don't you know we don't right. discriminate in any way. We love labels, yeah. And they and they throw that on there, and so the the battle, the struggle that it is to overcome those hurdles, to get somebody to just visit church come check it out, and then to get them back, and then to get them ingratiated into that, and then start helping them to understand the culture, the expectation, because, and I think where some of the softness came in is we tried to make it way too easy yeah. to wear the Christian label. Yeah. And and, right. and we paved this road of softness yeah, that's right. by, by not, not watering down doctrine, but just very carefully wading through certain doctrines and, and labeling them as meat and, you know, and putting them down the road, down the road, down the road. But then, but now we end up with entire congregations that are still babies because we never just got around to the meat, you know? Right. And, and I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of preachers that are, are seeing that and they're, and they're working. And I don't think any of that was intentional. And I don't, and I don't want, I don't mean to criticize anybody. That's not my, that's not my intent. I think that with very well, intended tactics, something that we would have never seen coming, the enemy used to just completely distract and even deter just generations now to the point where trying to rectify that, hmm. I, I'm really, really fearful to know what that would call for. Yeah, I mean, we have a, Christianity has a credibility issue. Yes. A massive credibility issue. Absolutely. And... You know, what do you do about that? I mean, a reputation is not gained in a day. No. So, I mean, we have, like you said, I mean, this is this has been a long time coming, and I mm -hmm. think, unfortunately, you know, decisions uh, are made quickly, and then consequences come slowly, mm. and then it kind of, I don't know, it kind of uh, accumulates over time, and we're we're surprised once the, you know, to use a illustration that this area is familiar with, when the hurricane finally hits. It's like it's, it's been coming from a long way away. Mm -hmm. Just because you can't see it from the beach yep. doesn't mean that it wasn't coming. Right. And this has been coming for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go all the way back to the seeker-sensitive movement, which, mm -hmm. by the way, so to applaud uh, some guys who were a part of that for a really long time who have left it mm -hmm. and have said, you know, this is not, it's not working. Yeah. So, I mean, we're a mile wide and an inch deep. Yep. Uh, we've made a bunch of um, people who, you know, kind of like Jesus a little bit, but they're not really disciples. They're mm -hmm. not sacrificing. So, I mean, you know, I, I think your idea about, okay, this local pastor, the comfort that I find is the same comfort that you, that you find, is I'm not finding comfort by looking at the megachurch pastor or whatever. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not looking for comfort there. I'm not necessarily criticizing that. I'm just saying I'm not looking there for my comfort. 
what I look for is, is kind of those decentralized sources of Christianity mm -hmm. where there's this guy over here who he has credibility in his community. Mm -hmm. the, the, the difficult thing that he has, that we have, um, is, you know, we're, I mean, you're just outside of New Orleans, but I mean, Marrero is a, you know, a small town in a way, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, where I'm from, Fire Branch is, you know, a small town in a way. Um, it's, it's more difficult to, to gain local credibility for a variety of, of reasons. And if you have it, it can be spoiled by someone else mm -hmm. that you don't even know, which yes. again, this Thank interconnectedness, you, social media. Social media. <laughs> yeah. So again, what we've lost that has happened over, you know, kind of the result of many decisions made over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to be very creative mm -hmm. in how we gain that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very difficult, I think, to gain that back, mm -hmm. um, especially in a culture that views us as optional. Yes. Whereas in previous generations, it wasn't about if you went to church, it's where you went. Yes. You know, it wasn't about if you had a, de a denomination that you clung to, it was which right. one. But in this generation where church is just viewed as optional. It is. Then even if you, like, how would you get the credibility back um, in a generation that views you as obsolete? You know, right. and I think the, the, we, we set ourselves up pretty good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we set ourselves up for, for this in a way. Mm -hmm. And I think the guys who are doing it right Mm -hmm. um, are going to benefit from that in their local yeah. community, even though there's a lot up against that. But we're going to have to transcend, to some extent, this culture of softness on a very local level, mm -hmm. um, just as leaders and as pastors. Right. And that's uh, probably it's, the best you can do. It's, it's alarming to me that when you engage with the community around, whether it's door-to-door -door or just out and about, and you just you know, ask the question, hey, do you have a church you get to attend? No, we don't go to church. That almost, I would say, based on my own on my own interactions, probably fifty percent of mm. the people that I talk to no longer claim a church of any type, have no intention of asking you any questions about yours. They've determined we're not church people, right? And and so yeah, and and that 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 optional mindset, and so that's again going right back to I'm fearful to find out what is it going to require to change that. I mean, historically in America, when patriotism drops, inevitably a major catastrophe is what allows the flag waving to be rekindled. And in, 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 in America's churches, I mean, it's, it's a, it, is a, it is a fearful thing to consider how drastic Almighty God is going to have to be, not just to get a hold of our churches, but to get a hold of our our country as a whole and shake them enough to determine whether or not they will seek after God again. Yeah. Um, and it's that is it, it's something that I don't know how much longer God's mercy and long suffering permits him to delay. I mean when you I mean I was thrilled like everybody else last June to see the Dobbs case dealt with in the Supreme Court and, and revert back to the states on the decision of unborn children being, being lawfully mandated to be given the opportunity of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and, but, to, but to have conversations since that time, personally, not the ongoing conversation in the media or online, personally, realizing that if this went to a vote, even in a state as conservative as ours, 
highly, highly likely that abortion comes sweeping back in. And to know that the abortion regulation, the abortion deregulation that they desire rivals that only of North Korea and China. And that is just heartbreaking to me. But I mean, we're now we're violating some key kingdom principles that God will not abide. It's one thing to say a, a small faction of our nation shoved it through right. using political devices. Yeah. It's another to say the will of the people has been sought. Yep. And that, that in, in a singular topic, that is very alarming to me. And, and I, think, I think this goes back, tying this into the church. I think we had an entire generation that was so traumatized by the lack of concern of another institution, the home, that they were convinced, I'll never do that to a kid. I would rather not bring that kid in than to subject them to the kind of trauma in the home that I went through while my parents' marriage fell apart. Right. And so th this, is, this is an ongoing generational issue of not respecting God's institutions. So we, it's so it, to, to come in and just look at the church landscape today, I mean, we've got to go back so far. And I mean, you know, and, and inevitably, from a historical standpoint in the United States of America, we point to the greatest generation. And we thank God for these young men and young women who rallied and said, for the sake of freedom, we'll pay the price. And of course, they were prepared for that in the, in the, in, in the early, earlier years, in the right. 1920s, Great the Great Depression, the economic downturn that took place, the Dust Bowl, all of those things that, that hardened them and strengthened them into that generation that could do that. But then they come home and they produce a generation that gives us the, the war protest and the, the irony of irony, calling America's military men that are, that are doing what they have, were drafted to do and calling them baby killers and the same generation that passes row. You can't make that up. Right. But it completely, in the free love hippie movement, and completely rejecting the institution of marriage. And so goes the home, so goes the church, so goes the church, so goes the country. And, and yeah. we know that. Well, and like, so the church has more of a role in it than we'd like to admit. Mm -hmm. The church acts shocked that these things are happening. What? What happened? I don't understand, you know? When, and conservatives as well. Mm -hmm. When, by the way, I mean, the degradation of marriage, like politically, if you really want to go back to when, when was the first time that the very definition of marriage really took a hit in the United States of America, it's when Ronald Reagan passed no-fault divorce laws. Mm. It's conservative, mm -hmm. voted in by moral majority and, mm -hmm. and Christians. So you had Ronald Reagan, who was a conservative. This has been documented by those who have kind of studied the overall trend of marriage from an academic perspective of sure. like, when did this degradation really begin? That's the first big turning point that they point to mm -hmm. is no-fault divorce laws because that changed the definition of marriage as something that's mm -hmm. oh, no longer for life until death do we part. Well, and I think you also have to go back one step further. you got to look at Lyndon B. Johnson and rewarding those who are receiving government assistance by being single parent homes. So before marriage disintegrated, we, we promoted the idea of not even entering in. So the, from, from two, two different yeah. bases, we, we created reached the financial incentive. And correct. Then, yeah. and, then and then the legal incentive. On the flip side, correct, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, and that's, 
now we're talking, I mean, that's been 50, 55 years. I mean, because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been almost 40 since Reagan, but it been Johnson, you go back up, you go over a decade more. I mean, it's, a, and now here we are with a very confused generation. But where in that, where in that, if we, if we see history repeat itself, which it's doomed to do, right? Where in that do we see then a generation that says, okay, give me truth? Yeah, I think we're starting to see that. I do, I, I do too. I, so I, I can speak for that for just for our church. This is an anecdote, but I think it plays out because, um, you know, you read uh, iGen mm-hmm. as well. So this generation, Gen, Gen Z, they're, they're very different. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Parents got to realize this. Pastors have to realize this. It's like when, when kids come into the world, they don't begin at the peak of your spiritual crescendo, right. right? They begin wherever you're at right then that moment, mm-hmm. right? And they just kind of grow with you or they backslide with you or whatever. This generation is popping into this world at a very strange time, oh my right? God. And it's a, it's a tough time to be someone who's Gen Z or whatever the next generation is, Generation Alpha, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you're seeing with some of them is this idea of, okay, I'm not exactly sure that I want to play this game, mm-hmm. right, that everybody else is playing. It seems like a dumb game. I think that's almost kind of the way that they would, I don't think they would describe it that way, but it's almost like this game seems like it's not very fun, mm-hmm. right? I think, yeah. so, I, I think it's like that. It's like yeah. everybody's mean, everybody hates you, everybody's a victim or whatever. Just on its face, if you walked into the room and that's the game that everybody else was playing, yeah. you'd opt out. Right. You'd be like, I don't think I want to play that. And mm-hmm. I think there is a generation coming up that just says, I'm not sure that I want to be involved in that. Yeah. I know with our young people in our church, um, I could say that I could split up the young people that I've worked with in maybe three different camps. The first camp were the people that I inherited. They're very close to me in age. And these were kids who um, Christianity was very superficial. Mm-hmm. So Christianity was something that you did on Sunday. Yeah. And then um, the next day, you're doing things that if your mom knew about it, she'd cry herself to sleep mm-hmm. at night. The next generation they weren't involved in all of those things or supporting each other in those things, at least not systemically, but they're always on the edge of like, what's over there? What's on the other side of the fence? And just, you know, very edgy. Um, And I would say that that generation, the the one previous to to Gen Z, I think that they love the church and they love you and they love the youth pastor and they love being at church and they like preaching, and they, don't, like they don't really love Jesus. Yeah. This next generation though, Gen Z, those kids, the, the newest group that has come up with us, I see kids who genuinely, I think, down deep in their heart, they love Jesus, and they've grown up in a generation where everybody else is speaking their minds about all this crazy stuff. I might as well speak my mind about my faith. Mm-hmm. And they're doing things that I never would have done. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you like almost a silly example. So before vacation Bible school, three of our teenage girls, four of our teenage girls, went to Starbucks mm-hmm. and they all got their little, you know, six dollar juices or whatever it is that they <laughs> get at Starbucks, which just blows my mind. It's you know, watered down strawberries in a cup. And so they're sitting there and they've got their Bibles out right yep. there on, on the table. They got notebooks and everything spread out or whatever. And they're having a Bible study right there in the middle of Starbucks. I love it. So I never would have been caught dead at 1415 with a Bible open Absolutely. in Starbucks. Absolutely. No stinking way. No mm-hmm. way. Because even Christian people would have been like, what are you doing? 
Oh, I thought it was because it was Starbucks. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I was completely that's misled. messed yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. So I'm in CC's. It wouldn't have caught me dead in CC's with my Bible open. Like it just, it just wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Um, this generation is not bothered by that. No. They're really not bothered by that, and that gives me a lot of hope. And we've had more kids from this generation who've grown up in this culture, would you, where you would think all these kids would be carnal as the devil. Yeah. All of these kids would be out on the fringe. Right. They're all transitioning three times a week, but they're not. Okay, but is that a positive result of a soft culture in that they're so overprotected that they're not allowed to really experience anything? Is, is this a positive byproduct? Because, I mean, no matter where you're positioned, if you're fixed, there's going to be positive and negative. Are we seeing a positive because now, okay, so you and I as parents of kids ranging from, from nursery to high school, we are, we are very aware, far more so than our parents were, of the danger of technology, the Correct. danger of these other forces. Like, you know, like you see people from our, our generation all the time, like our parents still don't know how far we ride our bikes, you know, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, but now we know exactly how far because yeah. either their GPS tagged yeah. or they were in eyesight, right? right? So is that a positive product of a, a more soft approach to the way this generation has handled things? Be because when we look at that, you know, because our generation, we, were, we just had a lot more freedom. We had a lot more liberty, and they, and they had the liberty. They, they could walk all the way over to the fence and take a peek over. Do the kids today have that same thing, or have we, have we reconstructed a more secure bubble? And are we really still in the midst of an experiment, or are we seeing a product? I think there could be, a, uh, there could be an aspect of that because... You know, a lot of sins now are digital, not physical. Correct. So you don't got to go anywhere to sin. No. Whereas back in the day, you had to go somewhere. Yes. <laughs> you had to leave your out. house to go sin. Yeah. Now you don't. Or at least call a friend something, yeah, exactly you know? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So it's, it's easier to sin in a way, but yeah. does it almost in some cases lessen the degree of the sinfulness? So, I, so for example, you're talking about positive outcomes out of negative situations. And that's true because something that's bad can't be the effects of it cannot be, by definition, entirely bad across every possible plane forever. Like, that's just not, that <laughs> yeah. takes human agency out of it, right? Correct. So, for example, this generation, Gen Z, one benefit of how they were raised, and there's a downside to this benefit as well, but they're less rebellious. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that you're seeing play out, which mm -hmm. is their relationships with their parents are far better yep. than the average relationship of the previous couple of generations. Mm -hmm. The downside to that is that they favor security over freedom. So there's there's yeah. a balance to that where we wanted freedom. Yes. We wanted to be out of the house. Yes. We wanted to. I tease these kids about not getting their licenses. Like, dude, I kicked down the door the first day to get yes. my license, and then they're just like, I'm good. I'll let mom drive me around. Right. And that's because they desire security primarily and not freedom. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right that there could be something to the fact that okay, yeah, there's a lot of negatives there, but there is a positive, which is at the very least they're not rebellious. Yeah. And so in some ways they can be won over. Mm -hmm. Whereas previous generations would have said, nope, this is as far as I'm going. Right. I'll never go further than but that. But does that create a vulnerability? If, if the, okay, so, so rebellion really, when we, boil, when we boil rebellion all the way down, you take the spirit of it out, mm -hmm. what you have is willpower, Sure. right? So on the flip side, the strength side of that cord, mm -hmm. does that also mean that we are about to watch the biggest exit because that's what we are seeing? 
when these kids hit college, when these kids hit their first crisis with family and marriage and kids, will they be convinced of something else? Because that's what I have been watching for the last decade of, sure, you had me convinced of this, but I tried this and it wasn't as bad as you said. And then I tried that and it wasn't as bad as you said. So now I'm really rethinking everything. And I'm 21, I'm 22, I'm 23. Yeah. And I'm, I'm finally realizing how sheltered I was and that's not real. And I'm getting a lot, a lot of that yeah. kind of a mindset. And so, I, I, and I can't define it. I don't know what feeds into that because inevitably no, no one have I ever seen skilled at actually picking winners and losers, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, kids get labels, sure. young adults get labels, families get labels. Entire generations get labels. Entire generations get yeah. labels. Rarely are they accurate, maybe to some degree in that moment, but long-term you can't see that. Because again, you're yeah. taking out the human element, you're removing grace, you're removing growth, yeah. you're removing redemption. So it's, it's interesting to me because I, I don't know. And, it, and, it's, and it's also alarming to me because I don't know what is going to be the result of this generation. Now, I'm with you 100%. I'm so proud of the kids in our youth group right now. We have a strong nucleus of young people that are having conversations, pulling truth from Scripture, yeah. and, and discussing it with each other and embracing this. They are building a very strong Christ-centered culture, and it's amazing to me. And in fact, it, it, they're, they're living out the admonition in, in yep. 1 Timothy 4, let no man despise thy youth. And I know that's not written specifically to teenagers, but what a mantra and what a motto to live by that you are forcing that generation a few steps in front of you to step it up because you say, you know, no, we are going to be this. And, 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 and whether it's immaturity or naivety, it doesn't matter. There's a boldness there right. that if they can latch onto it, yeah. and there'll be some that will recognize it. Because if I could go back and just change a couple of things when I was that age, we just, we look there and, 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 I, and I'm not gonna say I would change the older generation because I mean, it's, it's not fair. I would change my mindset toward the older generation because this is the thing that I find most fearful. And this is another part of what, what I find that is dangerous about the, the independent thinking of this generation. Now, I, there's a lot of positive. Here's, here's the danger whether you want to look at Common Core or you want to look at technology, we have a generation that is buying into the humanistic teaching that former generations have less to offer than current. Yeah. Yeah, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. Yes, and that's my concern. I mean, you know, and, and, and they've intentionally, in my opinion, that has been intentionally inflated through Common Core. He's like, mom can't help you reprogram your iPad. She can't help you with your Xbox. Now she can't even help you with your math homework. You know, and, and, and they're isolating a generation. And Parents are being phased out. Correct. And if that happens in our faith, mm -hmm. then that's exactly what will happen. The bubble will pop and we'll see the biggest exodus we've ever seen. Yeah, I think, I think that obviously is a potentiality. I think, though, that, um, you know, again, anecdotally, what I see with our young people, and I think in, in talking with other people, is that the desire for truth is there, which to me is like a foundational litmus test, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, do you really want to know the truth? Mm -hmm. And then are you willing to stand up for that truth mm -hmm. in a broader culture that might persecute you? Well, I mean, if that willingness is there, we can't say that that is indicative of softness unless it is purely naive. And I don't think that we can just say it's naive. 
Right. I, I, I don't think we can oversimplify it and say that that's mm -hmm. the case. And I think maybe we're underestimating how much this current generation is going through and has gone through, although its problems are different than ours. Mm. So our problems were more physical problems, mm -hmm. right? Their problems are more psychological, mm -hmm. which you can make the case which is more difficult. Sure. Right? So one might be more abstract, but it's not less real. And so this generation, I think they have their own versions of hardship that maybe there's a little chronological snobbery on our part, mm -hmm. potentially so those of us who've maybe been through some other types and categories of difficulties and suffering sure. and say, Psh, you haven't been through anything. Hmm. It's like, well, they're actively going through something that we really haven't gone through because they're growing up. They're the first generation ever raised by devices yep. and they're living through the fallout of that in a way that really we're not because no. we're a gap generation. Yeah. We're a bridge. So what they're dealing with is unique, mm -hmm. and I have to sometimes temper my tendency to downplay those problems and downplay that, suffer, that right. suffering and just categorize it as pure softness. Mm -hmm. Because again, as a generation, you don't get to pick your struggles. You don't right. get to pick your economy. You don't get to pick your <laughs> right. presidency even. You're too young to vote. Yeah. You don't get to pick much. You don't get to pick your parents. Yeah. Your struggle is your struggle. Yeah. And I think that when I see what this generation is doing, which is I think that you're seeing young people, by the way, that Gen Z is more conservative than the generation before. Mm -hmm. I think the deconstruction generation that you're talking about is more so prone, again, not a perfect category, but to the millennials, they mm -hmm. definitely went through that. Because I think they realized, well, um, materialism doesn't satisfy because my parents had everything and they right. still split up. They told me I could be anything I wanted to be, <laughs> and that just out. led me to permanent indecision, and now yeah. I'm a homeless art major, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but you're creative. <laughs> but you're creative. That's right. Those wall paintings are amazing. And I'm not dis discounting creative endeavor. I mean, I'm no. a creative person, yeah. uh, so I, I understand that. But, you know, this next generation, I think, is looking for something obviously more concrete. And I'll say yes. this. So... Um, I've, I've done some investigation into postmodernism, which, which is basically the explanation of, of it's, it's an epistemology, a theory of knowledge. It's how our generation believes that knowledge is acquired, mm -hmm. right? So you can split up, if you got postmodernism, then you have modernism, and then you actually have a pre-modern conception. Hmm. So we can split up the entire epistemology of the world essentially into three categories, pre-modern, modern, and postmodern. So essentially, uh, pre-modernism said that truth is acquired based upon the revelation of God to man, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. That the foremost truth, although there's other subcategories of truth underneath revelation, mm -hmm. that the most concrete truth and the things that are the most true of all true things are the things that God has revealed to us, mm -hmm. right? So um, then you have modernism, and this is post-Reformation. It's also mm -hmm. post-Enlightenment, which believes that the final arbiter of truth is human reason. Mm -hmm. So pre-modernism, the final arbiter of truth is God's rev revelation. Modernism, the final arbiter of truth is human reason. Mm -hmm. Postmodernism critiques human reason and says human reason is flawed, mm -hmm. limited, and cannot scale to the problem of infinity. So essentially there's an infinite number of choices, facts, worldviews, and human, all relative. human reason cannot navigate in infinitude. Therefore, you can't know that your worldview is actually true right. because you're choosing from an infinite number of choices mm -hmm. and you're not omniscient. Right. So it's basically a critique of human reason, essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then that throws us into this maelstrom, if you will, of uncertainty, which is, well, how do we tie anything down? Mm -hmm. Everything gets blown away, okay? Yep. 
But one of the things that I realize, and I haven't heard anybody say this, there's probably other people who've come to the same conclusion, which is that if you accept that, the requirement for knowledge becomes mm -hmm. omniscience. Mm -hmm. You have to know everything to know anything, mm -hmm. right? Which brings us full which brings cycle. us full cycle <laughs> back to pre-modernism, yes. which then gives us a window. Mm -hmm. It gives us a small crack to appeal to revelation. Yep. And I think that is the avenue by which this next generation could return to a strong foundation of levels. truth on multiple levels. Because you're talking about a small portion of a generation that is going to be affected on a on a academic level that produces their pursuit of God through either academia or philosophy. Most of them are going to go back to the more base elements of supply and demand, really. Well, it's, it's, there's a trickle-down effect of the idea. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you're seeing it culturally, mm -hmm. right? So that's the amazing thing. It's like, so who are the biggest, some of the biggest influencers and drivers of modern thought? Okay, it's not people on social media. Mm -mm. It's not. It's not pastors. No. It's academics. Yeah, they're, they're true influencers. Th they're in academia, and yeah. it has been that way for a long time. Well, it's they're, designed that way. I mean, yes. since I mean, that's everybody has to pass through that system mm -hmm. to some degree. Yeah. And you're go there's it's going to be there. So the names on those textbooks are becoming far more significant mm -hmm. because they are getting the opportunity to really navigate and 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 become the compass yeah. for a generation. Well, and you don't have to know their names, which no. is the amazing thing, is that they can have a sway over the way that you think, and you've never been in that class. You've right. never studied that. So there's something that uh, there's an academic, um, I think his last name is Reef, Philip Reef or something like that talks about a concept called the social imaginary, hmm. which is like, for example, um, the percentage of people who could give you a breakdown of a decent definition of evolutionary biology mm -hmm. is you know, basically 0% of the population. Mm -hmm. Not many people can actually do that for you. And yet everyone lives off of its basic assumptions. Yes. Right? Yes. So what, what I mean is that the trickle-down effect, which has been happening for decades and decades mm -hmm. and decades and decades, is here and has resulted in cultural transformation. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is these ideas, this relativism that's based on the idea of, well, you can't know anything and you can't know that your worldview, they embody themselves in uh, colloquialisms and jargon mm -hmm. that are part of this social imaginary. And our society has absorbed these ideas mm -hmm. unknowingly, and they don't know where they're from. No. And, and they don't need to know where they're from for them to act them out. I mean, right. the truth is, how many things that you do and, you, and the average person does and believes, do they know the origination of that belief? No. Not many. It used to be that Christianity was a social imaginary. Yes. It permeated everything. So everybody right. operated on Christian assumptions. That's not the truth anymore. But the silver lining mm -hmm. is this idea of that postmodernism which must be short-lived because it's so volatile, right. gives us a window of opportunity to return to the basis of truth being the omniscience of God and what He has revealed to man. Yes. And I think you're starting to see people intuitively, although not academically, return back to that. Yeah. And if we can make it through this mm -hmm. volatile time, I could see where kind of like Gideon, the impulsive people have gone home, the fearful people have gone home, yeah. and then God gives us a bunch of lamps and clay pots and we get to work. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that would be, I think that's a recipe for revival that bypasses a devastating day of the Lord. Now, I mean, because, you know, it's something that is so drastic and something that is so demonstrative that it's simply that day. And, and that is, 
that's a, it's a dreadful thought. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I would love to bypass it, um, but I, I don't know because I would love I would love to see that I would love to see that come full circle. Um, I guess like anyone, I would have my doubts just because that we know there's an evil driving force mm-hmm. behind this, but we also know there's a God that's all powerful and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, that would be incredible to see that turn. Here's this is the last question I have. Okay, so we're talking about, you, you asked me the question. The, the, We've uh, only the, dealt the, with this. one question, by the way. It's <laughs> pretty, go, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's good, I guess. <laughs> so the state of the church, we said soft. Has that become a dividing line for those who see themselves as strong? And what do we do with those who are, who are needing to redirect that focus? Because I'm sure in, in, in your sphere of influence and ministry, like mine, there are many that they're just getting to that point of, I'm fed up. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done with the, 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 two, the two kinds of justice that are distributed. They, I'm done with, um, with all of these things. When are our rights going to be trampled on enough to the point where they're trying to fight back? And, and they're, they're ready to fight, mm-hmm. but they don't know who Need or what. And Yeah, but because of the perceived softness of Christianity, has that neglected avenues where they really see the true strength that is required to be an active and productive believer or Christian, whatever label you want to put on that. And is, is that part of our solution? Is, is to, I mean, of course it is, to, I mean, to include everyone and give them their, and help them on their journey. Yeah. But, the, but just going off of strength and soft, you know, we, that's where I find we, we so often are losing those that are the men and yep. that are, are they're, they're, they can take it. Yeah. But they don't see their place in the church. Yeah. Because we've been, we, not only have we allowed it to become soft, we've become comfortable with soft. Yeah. So fundamentally, strength is gained by bearing a burden, mm. by definition. Yeah. That's what weightlifting is. Yeah. So. The same is true with stress. Like you have to get your body acclimated to stress in order to become stronger. Strength is just, you know, your body's your body overcoming stress to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just enveloping around the stress and growing on top of it. And we've we have a lot of external st- stressors. My thing is, I think I can speak from personal experience. I think with the ways that I've hopefully changed and grown, which is it's not usually the external stressors. Right? It's not the burdens thrown on me by the political system or, mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's the crosses to some extent that I voluntarily go over and pick up. Mm-hmm. I'm not being forced to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and you talk about avoiding a black swan event to, to some extent. That would be great. So here's how that happens. A bunch of people, it need not be many, get thoroughly right with God, R.A. Tori said. Okay, well, part of that is you going over voluntarily without needing an external stimuli and you picking up a cross and you bearing that burden. Hmm. So who said who said it takes an external stimuli for you to do that? Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't have to take that. No. It shouldn't take that. And the fact that it's taken this much is a condemnation of our softness. Yes. Okay, then bear a burden. Yeah. Bear a burden. That's, that is what men are called to do, yes. is to bear, to pick up heavy things, lift right. heavy things, do hard things. Yes. That's what we're called to do. And I think that there's a small subset of the population uh, in Christianity who are doing that. But for that to show up in the culture is going to take 
some time. But I think yeah. fundamentally, we have to get back to carrying heavy loads and doing burdens. And I, for one, don't want to wait around for an external political stimuli <laughs> no. to do it. Um, I will voluntarily go over there and pick up that cross myself and walk up that hill. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's it, is, is we, have to, we, have to, we have to stop allowing the culture around us to redefine things. We, we, it, it, and internally, we know it to be false, but it's just easier to accept. And even the definition of masculinity. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you tell a man, yeah, I don't think you can lift that. <laughs> you better watch, yeah. you know, and dare me, yeah. you know. And, but spiritually, I don't really see the need. I got nothing to prove. Why are you judging me? Mm -hmm. And 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 or or what are we seeing? Are we seeing a a, a physical strength and a spiritual softness or right. apathy? Um, and and I think that I think that would be my second answer. Soft and you know what's the with the two problems with America? I don't know what I don't care. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, and so the ignorance and apathy is. I mean, I, that may be a more accurate answer yeah well so if you're ignorant your life to some extent has to be it's, it's, it's ironic because ignorance leads to a very hard life yes it leads to a very hard life much yes. harder than it had to be yes but it's that involuntary hardness that just happens to you mm. right you don't have any control over that hardness right the way to become strong is through voluntary hardship yeah. you voluntarily expose yourself to suffering and hardship right. and bearing a burden yeah. right but ignorance is just you running headlong into brick walls. That's not necessarily <laughs> going to make you stronger. You know no. what I mean? So ignorance, ignorance is, knowledge is the buffer between impulse and action. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a guy who said that children will play with gunpowder as with common sand, uh, but a grown man wouldn't, mm -hmm. would, would, would not do so. And that's true because there's a lack of knowledge there. Mm -hmm. And we live in an incredibly ignorant generation so by definition they have to be impulsive because mm -hmm. when you when you ask someone who's impulsive which is a derivative of ignorance you say what were you thinking it's not that they weren't thinking yeah. right it's that the file folder is empty right you can <laughs> thumb through that all day open up all the, there's nothing in there right and so if you're if you're not acting based on knowledge by definition you're acting based on impulse and instinct because that's all you have mm -hmm. that's the follow your heart Generation in a nutshell, yep. Yep. which the Bible describes in animalistic terms. Mm -hmm. It says that the man who doesn't have understanding is as the beast yeah. that perishes. Yep. Okay, that's quite a statement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Walt Disney, Walt, the, the Disneyfied version of it is follow your heart. Mm -hmm. The Bible version of it is you're kind of acting like an animal right now. You're <laughs> just living by instinct. I saw this guy in an Adidas shirt walking down the road. It said, always follow your instinct. And it's funny because I thought always, like, every single time forever? Yeah. Like, were you following your instinct when you designed the t-shirt? Like, is that a mm -hmm. function of instinct? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But we live in a generation that I think believes in that. You can call it your gut or intuition or whatever. You can, you can uh, spray spiritual Febreze, you know, on any of these terms. To Febreze. <laughs> I like, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and you can <laughs> kind of, um, you know, sanitize these things spiritually yeah. and just say, well, I mean, you know, I'm just following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, I've got you peace. Know? I've got peace. I've got peace. I prayed about it. Mm. I prayed about it. Yeah, but how, and again, and I think that leads to another major, major diagnosis as to the poor health of the church. Which God did you talk to? Did you talk to the God of the Bible, 
or the one that you created in your mind that is appeased by whatever your Im your impulse is. Right. And I mean, that God looks a whole lot like you. Yo, <laughs> he resembles you a lot. I was made in his likeness. Ah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which so, means I can just. I'm just know. gonna I'm just gonna go in there and just cherry pick yeah. several statements. Yeah. That are just gonna they're just gonna glaze this over. It's gonna sound good. It's gonna make me feel good. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just going to go on being God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Always used to justify impulse. Yes. But, you know, here's the thing about that. So that is, to some extent, the right of divinity, right? Mm -hmm. So God always does whatever he wants to do. Mm -hmm. But he's the only being who always wants to do the right thing. <laughs> right. So yes. we're, we're assuming the right of divinity on ourselves. And yes. that's what was offered in the garden. Right. Was the knowledge of good and evil. The problem yeah. is we lack the proper impulse to always choose right. Mm. That's the issue because mm -hmm. we're not infinite. We're not holy, holy, holy. No. <laughs> we're not holy once, right? <laughs> right? So the issue is that we're assuming the right of divinity on ourselves, which is always to act on impulse, but that our impulse is base, animalistic, sinful, mm -hmm. and carnal. Yeah. And the refusal to acknowledge that yes. um, is a huge part of the problem. But the fundamental of humanism is man is always good, and sometimes God is like man, right. when in reality, God is always good, and sometimes man is like God. And we, we get that completely reversed, and, the, and the, that, that arrogance, and that's where you see that spirit of Satan working its way in. I will be like, I will yeah. be above, you know? Right. And that, I think, and it, it's detrimental. So in looking at all of that, I mean, most of our conversation has been external. So if we, if, we go, if we go and we dare to look internal, then we have to ask ourselves, have we been soft? Have we refused to pick up the load? Are we doing what God has asked us to do? And, you know, it, I, you hear... I've heard this statement many times, you know, the greatest room in my life is the room for improvement, right? So we, we look at that and we, we have to recognize and we have to humbly accept that though we may be invested in the solution, we may be searching for the solution to this point, we still have to admit the, that we're, we're, we've become part of the problem because we have, we have been engaged in a form of Christianity that we find flawed, that we find inept to the challenges of today, and yet have not yet led the revolution to to see that now there's I, I would have to say this I would have to say that to the very best of my ability in the time that God has allowed me to have the influence and the opportunities in ministry I think we have seen incredible steps back toward church the way it's meant to be agreed and not checking a box not just strangers engaged in an hour of corporate worship, but forming a legitimate church family built on trust and love and, 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 a, and a deep desire for God, head over heels in love with Jesus. And that's what we're going for. Are we, have, we, have we arrived? Obviously not. But we have seen some significant strides um, to, to pursue that. But at every step of the way, I have to look at it and say, we could have done more but me. We could have done more uh, but this, you know, and, and we look at it. And um, but I, I'm so thankful that as we sit here and have this conversation, I hope that God looks down and he's pleased by it. But at the same time, he looks at it and in his his mercy and his long suffering in each of our lives, he looks at it and says, you're not quite there yet, but let me help you get here. Let me help you get here. And if, if we could see that, 
begin to happen, by and large, I think it would create a movement that, that people would recognize that the deficiencies in corporate worship that drove their family away and created a poor taste in their mouth based on what they heard about it because they weren't even part of that driven away, they would begin to recognize that was someone's misrepresentation of God. That, that wasn't God. God doesn't do that because God always chooses right. God always chooses holy. God always chooses those things. And somebody else misrepresented him because th this is a statement that, that has been driven home in my mind, you know, in teaching through 1 Timothy. I come to chapter 6 and you're, and you're dealing with stewardship and, you know, of course, the love of money, the root of all evil, godliness with contentment is great gain. And you're looking through those things and you come to this awareness. Every, every, everything we have is a gift from God. And we are stewards of all of it. But the most precious thing that God has called us to be stewards of is we're to be stewards of his name. And that's where I think we fail the most. So I think that would be probably my final answer on problem in the church. We, are, we, have, we have been poor stewards of God's name. That's good. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> All right. So Shannon, thank you. Yes, sir. Appreciate I've enjoyed it. it. Yeah. Sure.